Are you ready to free the body and free the soul? Join Dr. David, the cutting edge doc, as he guides us on today's journey. Here's Dr. David. Welcome, friends. Welcome to another edition of Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul. I'm your host, Dr. David, the cutting edge doc. And here on Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul, we do in-depth interviews with individuals that are doing cutting edge work in the areas of healing and spirituality and social transformation. And I'm super excited about today's show because my special guest, John Dupuy, actually covers all three of those areas in his work and in his life, his commitment to healing and spirituality and social transformation. I've known John for many years, and uh, I have great respect for John, uh, both uh, for his intelligence and his courage and his energy and his commitment to service and to love. And uh, I'm excited to introduce you to John Dupuy and some of the exciting work that he's doing in the world. John, welcome to Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul. Uh, great, great, David. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much. That was quite an introduction, and I will try to live up to it just for today and, and tomorrow and the next. So thank you. And yeah, and it's great to be here, and um, I'm looking forward to getting into this. Let me begin by just sharing with the listeners the, uh, the bio that you sent me, and then we'll go from there. John Dupuy is the founder of Integral Recovery. CEO of iAwake Technologies and author of Integral Recovery, a revolutionary approach to the treatment of addiction and alcoholism, published by SUNY Press, winner of the 2013 USA Best Book Award in Health in the category of Addiction and Recovery. He has over two decades of experience working with addicts and their families, and has co-founded two wilderness therapy programs. John coaches individuals suffering from the disease of addiction or depression from his home via Skype and travels nationally and internationally to teach and inspire on the subject of integral recovery, integral transformative practice, and the use of brainwave entrainment technology to deepen one's meditation practice and in the treatment of addiction, depression, PTSD, and other mental disorders. John is currently writing the follow-up book to Integral Recovery, which takes the wisdom and the practices that were applied to recovery from alcoholism and addiction to everyone who suffers and or wants to become their deepest, wisest, and most skillful and beautiful self. So thanks for that great uh, bio, uh, John. I, I think people, I think sharing this bio with the listeners really, really sets the tone uh, energetically for, uh, for people to really get to know you. And uh, it was beautifully written. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. Uh, and yeah, so David, why don't you just, you ask away and you take, take the lead and I'll just, uh, I'll just follow your lead and we'll see where this goes. Okay. So, um, you know, one of the things I love about freeing the body, freeing the soul is because the interviews are about an hour and a quarter long. They're an in-depth interview. So there's time to not only talk about the work, but there's time 
for people to really connect on a deep level with you and your journey. And I found that if we take ample time in the beginning for people to really uh, connect emotionally with you and your journey, then later on when we talk about the work, uh, the, for the formal work that you're doing, it seems to take on some added depth. So I do want to give you plenty of time to tell your story in the context of what we're doing here today. But one question I do have that came from, that popped for me from when I was reading the bio was this um, distinction that is often made between uh, assisting people in recovery and assisting people with uh, known mental challenges and um, just assisting people in general who may be functioning in the world in a way that the world might think is very successful, but yet they're not satisfied inside. They're not at peace. Um, this all seems to me to be different entry points for talking about one thing. And uh, I love when you talk about integral recovery, that it's a way of looking at this one thing that brings a unity to it, but also makes some useful distinctions in terms of uh, different states of consciousness that people might be in and different interventions and strategies and tools that might be appropriate at different phases in the journey of that unity. And, uh, I, I love that your work has the space for both of that. I love that your work has the space to acknowledge the underlying unity of existence, but at the same time has a power and a specificity that allows uh, an understanding maybe of where someone is in their process and um, some of the key distinctions and practices that might be appropriate for that level. And uh, I wanted to mention that because when I think about you, John, that's one of the things I really think about is that you have that compassion, but you also have that attention to detail that uh, really brings home the bacon. And so when you're telling your story, I'd be interested in having you include in your story in terms of your own evolution, um, kind of how you came to that place where you could simultaneously appreciate the unity, but also really uh, focus in a powerful way on the uh, kind of existential realities of human beings as they go through their journey and go through different phases. All right. Well, thank you. Um, yeah, you know, I'm I'm turning 60 in July, so it's like if I were to tell the whole story, it would be at least a mini series. But I'll I'll try to uh, you know jump around and and hit some of the the the, the main uh, uh, points and the salient points. And of course, this is besides just being um, a method or a way of looking at addiction and treatment and healing, not just for addicts, but just for everybody who suffers. Um, 
is very personal also. So let's say, let me say that I had my first kind of spiritual, very powerful class five spiritual opening when I was, I was 11 or 12 years old. And uh, I had uh, received a, a Gideon's New Testament in grade school and they gave it and said, if you promise to read a chapter every night, I said, sure, and I never did. But uh, eventually I got around to reading it in my, my bedroom one night and I opened up and I started reading the Sermon on the Mount. And um, I just had this huge, uh, huge opening, you know, it was like I, I'd grown up Catholic and I was just like, who is, you know, and started going through the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, you know, blessed are they that mourn, et cetera. And I just had this, this huge opening and, and it was like God was love and love was everywhere and it was all God. And it was just like, huh? How come I never heard that in church? And uh, that's a really uh, that's a really overwhelming, powerful thing to have have happen. And I didn't have any guidance. You know, it never it never occurred to me to go ask a, a priest, for example, about what was going on because it was pretty clear that whatever was going on, I'd never felt that in church or through priests or anything like that. So that didn't even occur to me. And uh, let's just say that a lot of my life was. Uh, shaped by that original kind of spirit, deep, deep spiritual experience, it left uh, it left an impression on my soul, if you will. And so, and and I would have other, you know, spiritual experiences over over my lifetime in different contexts. So I was kind of a haunted mystic, you know. And that's one of the the difficult things about when you have these powerful experiences, they go away. They they're temporary. You know, I mean, I mean, maybe you learn something and you get a hit that there's there's, you know, that's it's, it's a much different reality than you ever suspect expected. And uh, but then you go back and you're just your same old self with all your neurotic problems and all your issues. And so sometimes it's very painful, you know, to have these these enlightening experiences and then go back into your ego. So I was I was the the haunted mystic, if you will. And I always knew that spirituality uh, was essential and, and a part of what I was doing. So that led me to some really weird, you know, directions, which in retrospect were, were all very uh, educational. And one of the things I did is growing up as a young man or even a boy, it's like, I'm just going to live my life as if I have something important to do. You know, I don't know if I do, it's just an illusion, but I'm going to struggle through the good books and listen to the smart people and put myself and not just, you know, waste my life. I'll, I'll try to live as if it matters and if I do have a mission, which I haven't found yet. But if it ever comes, you know, if, if ever, you know, destiny or fate or God rings the doorbell, I'll be I'll be somewhat prepared to to answer the call. So that was helpful, I think. And um Anyway, flash, you know, forward 40 years or, you know, 45 years. And I, I got involved. We, I, I went to graduate school in the Bay Area, uh, JFK University, studied transpersonal psychology. That's where I met my wife. I visited a friend in southern Utah and I'd worked in wilderness programs before. And I just completely fell in love with the country, the mountains, the red rock wilderness, all, all the gorgeous diversity and and you know, spaciousness. There's a lot of, not many people down here. And uh, finally, we got our, after eight years, eight or nine years in the Bay Area, going to grad school and doing all kinds of things. Uh, we, we moved out to um, the Utah wilderness and we yandered and wandered around for about six months, an old four-wheel drive pickup that we bought and uh, just got close to the land and learned about the plants and the animals and the flowers. And I was vision questing 
uh, on and off, you know, going vision fast up on side of a canyon saying, you know, spirit, God, you know, give me a vision. So I'll have some direction and so I can be of service. I can help people. Otherwise, I don't think I'm going to make it. I think I'll just just drown in despair. And so anyway, the the wilderness uh, uh, therapy industry was just nascent at that point, And we we kind of stumbled into it. And they saw us and our background and our love for wilderness. They hired us on the spot. And so that kind of started my career there. And what happened, what became quite uh, apparent is that most of the people, and, and in the beginning, we were working with just adolescents, uh, 17 and, and, and under. Uh, they were there because of drugs and alcohol issues, you know. And uh, what we were doing is, as far as treatment was really, I thought, just wasn't enough. And I'd worked in a treatment center before in the Bay Area. And basically the idea is, you know, go to treatment. It's all very 12-step based, even though we, you know, the, the even the 12-step stuff was pretty lame in the wilderness program. However, however, there were other really great things going on, but they weren't treatment. They were, uh, they were helpful, but they weren't it. So uh, I began to struggle with this and say, you know, how can we do this better? And um, I was given an opportunity. Oh, let me go back before that. Before that, I had just got uh, hit by a train reality. I lost my uh, partner for you know, really painful reasons. My dog got ran over. I got fired from my job and my brother committed suicide in my house all within about three weeks. So I was just just overwhelmed and all my psychological training and everything had it was it was like, you know, trying to empty the ocean with a teaspoon. It just was not sufficient to deal with what I was going through. And uh, I set about and I wandered and yandered for about four years, uh, just, you know, by myself in deep despair. And uh, because my brother had committed suicide, I was unwilling to do that because I, I just, I knew I was experiencing what a suicide does in the family. Never, you know, it's just something that's just brutal. And, and I wouldn't empty that to my parents and uh, my kids and my family and all this stuff. So um, I finally went home with my parents and I started working on myself and trying to get well. I was going to therapy. I was doing uh, Qigong. I was meditating. I was working out when I could because in my particular depression, uh, if you will read William Styron's uh, A Darkness Made Visible, he's, he's describing what I was experiencing. So I'd have the mornings fairly okay, but then around noon, man, that noonday demon would just hit me and I would be just incapacitated and deep, deep, dark, dissociated, lonely, disconnected hell. You know, I couldn't watch TV. I couldn't listen to the radio. I couldn't pray. I couldn't listen to music. I just locked myself in my room and shut all the windows and, and draw the curtains and sit there until the sun would go down and I would come out of it. So I had every day I had mornings to try to work on myself, get something done, knowing that every afternoon I would descend into this hell that seemed to go on for ever and ever. And, you know, the time shifts when you're in that kind of deep depression. And, uh, yeah, I, I like I said, I uh, at that point, when the suffering gets so great, suicide becomes... Not, you know, death is nothing to be feared. It's like a release from suffering. You know, man, anything has to be better than this. And so I understand, I understand how people can do that. And uh, I've, I've, you know, worked with a lot of suicidal people because they know that I know 
you know, and, and uh, the thing to remember is that the darkness passes, you know, and uh, when you're depressed, you think it's, it is reality and it will last forever and it won't. It, you will come out of that dark cloud, but you have to have, you know, you have to have, know that or at least trusted people that can get you through it at the time. So anyway, uh, I got to receive a call and to go back to, um, to Utah and uh, uh, help start, restart a uh, wilderness program. And I was like, you know, yeah, I might as well go and try to give myself to something good before I die. I don't know how much time I have left. And maybe by doing good, you know, I'll get better or something. So I went up there. And eventually I was given the opportunity to start my own program. I had this idea of doing a wilderness program for adults uh, that really, really faced the the uh, disease of addiction and alcoholism and that happened and of course I was trying to hire the addiction experts and I found out they really weren't there and it was just amazing you know this is like this is like the I call it the fifth horseman of the apocalypse I mean it has look what it's done to our country look what it's done to Mexico uh, to Latin America to you know just it makes you know the 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 butcher's bill for one year in our country of uh, the, the cost of addiction and death and suffering and and uh, children abused and born with fetal alcohol, et cetera, and the violence and the continuing poverty in the inner cities, all of that stuff goes right back to the door of addiction and the criminality and the gangs and all of this stuff it makes a 9-11 look like a picnic, you know, and, and we just haven't quite connected all the dots with that and uh so i was i was looking for a better way and uh I, I ran across a website or an advertisement about ken wilbur's work and a website that he had called integralnaked.org and for those of you who don't know ken wilbur he is a um, philosopher an integral philosopher a great mind uh absolutely you know one of the one of the um, uh just game-changing uh intellects that, that shows up every once in a while, you know, on the, I, I think, of course, you know, we're talking while he's still alive. So it's hard to, to, to look at historically in context, but I would say, you know, he'd be right up there with Socrates and Plato and, uh, uh, you know, just the great minds that you can think of, you know, Freud, Carl Jung, uh, just, you know, he's just that, that big. And he had started this, he, he had his later work. I'd read some of his early stuff when I was in grad school, but the, the latest work, he was talking about this thing called the aqua integral map. And it was just a way, uh, uh, aqua is an acronym for all quadrants, all lines, all levels, all stages, and all types. And I don't think I'll be able to get into all of it, but it gave you enough lenses to look at reality that you can look at anything and see all the essential necessary components. And um, what I had found in current treatment models in, in, well, in the United States where I was working is that they did good things, but they left out huge pieces of the puzzle, okay? And when I read Ken's work, I read a 40-page paper he'd written and later became a, a book called The Integral Vision. But it was about, you know, what is this thing? And, and immediately I had just one of those those uh, moments of intellectual clarity and enlightenment. The light bulbs went off. And I went, oh, my God, this is it. This is what we need to understand the disease of addiction. Everything is covered. Everything that is essential. And um, somebody said, uh, 
I forget what it was, who it was. It might have been Einstein, as a matter of fact. He said, uh, there's a simple answer to everything that doesn't work, you know. And uh, so, yeah, if you just think there's just one thing, and that's been it, you know. If you just have a spiritual experience, you know, and you're an addict, you'll get better. Or if you just deal with your underlying, you know, get into therapy and deal with your underlying neurotic trauma, you know, then you'll get well, or if you just exercise, then you get well. All of a no, not, all of those are pieces. All those are important, but uh, by themselves, they're not a law. They're partial. They're partial truths. And so I, I found this thing that I, I would just saw, I saw it in this, you know, this vision logic moment. And I got on the, the horn to, I was Integral Institute at that time in Boulder, Colorado. And I said, I was all excited. And, uh, you know, who is doing the integral recovery, replying this? And anyway, everybody's like, we're really busy. They didn't want to talk to me. It's pretty funny. But I was in such a, um, I was so happy and so high about what I was seeing that I, I was too happy to be offended by anybody. So I said, they really are busy. They're doing great work. And I went on and I tried to Google it and find everything. I found nothing. And, and then this realization is like, kind of came over me. It's like, am I supposed to pick up this ball you know, and run with it? Is this my play? And that was kind of frightening. And um, then a little later on, one, and one of the things that, that, that Ken Wilbur was talking about also, and you know, he was doing a lot of uh, interviews and video stuff and he had his body like a Greek God and you know, and he, meditated you know for years two hours a day and he did all these practices and he called it integral life practice and this was an idea that came from uh george leonard and michael murphy at the esalen institute and they had as you know you may or not may or may not know esalen is on the the uh, big sur coastline it's a gorgeous place and since the late 50s it has been dedicated to cutting edge uh, evolutionary ideas and, and therapies and, and practices. And George and Michael Murphy work as partners in this, this process. And they said, you know, we're really good at doing workshops, you know, yoga, have teachers, this, that meditation, whatever they come here, they, you know, they soak in the hot springs or by the car and they have these great opening experiences. And it's just like, Oh my God, this is so good. And then they go home and the light begins to fade. They said, you know, what are we going to do to sustain, you know, these openings? So it's not just these, these series of like like I had experienced in my life, these powerful spiritual experiences, which go away. And they came up with this idea. They called it integral transformative practice. And they, they wrote a book. What did it, I think it was the life we were given anyway. And they said they got volunteers and say, look, we're going to do this practice where we exercise the body, the mind, the emotions and spiritual practice. Everything that we think is essential. We're really going to dedicate ourselves to it. And we're going to set our goals really high is what we want to accomplish. You know, and everybody would set their own individual goals. And they did this. And, you know, some people would drop out and wouldn't do it, but they, they really did it in a very systematic, uh, scientific way. And they came up with this, you know, this thing, wow, this is how you transform and not only wake up, but stay awake, you know, and, and not just uh, uh, spiritually, but physically and emotionally, intellectually. And they put this all together and Ken started talking about it. And I immediately kind of got to another one of these huge aha ahas is that this integral thing, this aqua map that Ken had come up, put together was the map, but the integral practice became the way you walked the territory. You actually did it. 
So I just started going, okay. So maybe, you know, and in and, and traditional therapy or, or, or treatment, basically you go to uh, treatment for 28 days or however long, you know, the insurance company uh, agreed to pay or you had, you know, money in the family. And then you would get out and go to 90 meetings in 90 days and get a sponsor and God bless and good luck. And, you know, that works sometimes, but not nearly often enough. So I said, what if this um, uh, this integral practice idea where we work the body, ongoing lifetime practice of working the body, working the mind, uh, doing the emotional trauma, PTSD, whatever, uh, emotional work, your negative stories about yourself, all the stuff that you can um, work on in a deep meditation practice and then a spiritual practice. And you put that all together and that becomes you teach your students that. Uh, you teach them the map, what, what's going on, why they're addicts, why they have these you know, huge, powerful cravings that take over their lives and destroy them and make them behave in ways that they would never, never do otherwise and have that understanding and then have a practice to go along with it. So that was basically the model. And I was started working in the uh, wilderness program that I'd started up. And but one of the things that was really hard for me to do is to get people to meditate using traditional meditation. Uh, it's just even even out in the, in the context of this glorious wilderness out here, it was very hard. In fact, it was hard for me. And then I heard a um, a conversation with Ken and Bill Harris, and Bill Harris was talking about this, uh, or uh, he and Ken were talking about binaural uh, entrainment, binaural beats. And basically, the simple version is if you have uh, stereo headphones and you have one beat, say 100 beats in one ear and 110. In the other ear, the brain doesn't know how to deal with that discrepancy, so it, it splits the difference at five beats, creates a phantom uh, uh, wave, if you will, and so down to five beats, and that's you know that's getting you to alpha, theta, and by 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 uh, controlling the beats going in each ear, you can entrain the brain to whatever brainwave state is desired. And people had found out that you can take, you know, you can be in beta, alpha, theta, delta, and get these really profound, deep brain meditative states, like immediately, like in the first th three or four minutes of listening to this stuff. So instead of having to wait for years and years of monastic practice and and lack of results, which most people won't do, because, you know, if you're doing something and you're just not Get, not getting enough payoff right away, we're really busy and it doesn't tend, uh, we don't tend to stick with it. So I said, well, maybe this is the, uh, the answer to my meditation problem. I was thinking for my students, a little that I know is the answer to my meditation problems. So I uh, put up the money, bought this uh, technology and started using it. And again, I had this huge uh, spiritual class five non-dual thing, you know, uh, just saw, you know, you know, my little, my little John self was floating in this huge ocean of just consciousness and reality. And it was all alive and it was all good. And I was all of that as well as my little self. And it was just like, wow. And I'm going, you know, I've been doing this for like three days now. It just mean I'm enlightened, you know, cause I knew the, I knew the language of enlightenment. I studied uh, transpersonal psychology for years and it was a huge opening. And, it, uh, and but what it did, and this is really the important part, um, is that it gave me kind of a context where as I continued the meditation, um, this technology, unlike traditional meditation, actually seems to really involve uh, the soma, the body. And so I started releasing the trauma, the, the trauma of my brother's suicide, uh, all the other things that had happened 
through my body and I would I would sit there and I would watch it and it, and the messages would be there. Oh, you can't, you know, this is too much. It'll kill you, get stuck, whatever. You know, I just, I knew that was mine. I'd bracket that and stay with the, stay with the, the, the bodily sensations and it would come up and intensify and then it would release. And I went through, you know, layer and layer after layer of releasing this stuff. And I had at the same time, I kind of had this intuitive understanding that this was really getting me well from the depression. So not only was I developing um, this model to help my beloved students, you know, in the wilderness, my beloved addicts, it also became the vehicle, my own personal vehicle for, for, uh, for saving my life basically and healing. And it continues uh, to this day. And I'm, uh, and so I, I do the practices that I preach and basically to, uh, I'll just summarize this and, and, and I'll give it a rest here. But when you talk about integral practice, what are you talking about? Well, there's two things you have to work. You have to work the exterior, you know, your physical body. Okay. Strong, you know, nutrition, exercise, strength training, you know, stretching, yoga, cardio, all that stuff. And then the other side, you have to work on the interiors, your emotional health, uh, your deep spiritual uh, connection to your deepest self, to your essential self, to God, however you want to language that. It's your own journey and your own path. So we're working on our interior self, and we're also working on our exterior self at the same time, an ongoing lifetime path of, of transformation. And what happens, it, 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 uh, you have a balanced progression. In other words, in, in other parts, the other part of the, one of the other parts of the map we talk about multiple intelligences are lines okay uh, and, and we, we we do them vertically so you can see oh my physical uh, line is really really low but my uh, you know culinary line is great I'm a great cook you know or whatever so you can see there's different and it's quite intuitive we have different intelligences some of us are really good at math some of us suck at math some of us good at, at music etc and so um, uh, where was I going with that? Oh, and that 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 if you if you have uh, uh, unbalanced development, not, you might be super super intellectually cognitively smart, but you haven't done any of your emotional work and your shadow work and all this stuff. Well, that can all become infected for the lack of uh, you know emotional uh, health, and you can begin to project with your big fat you know beautiful intelligent brain all of your negative stuff unconsciously and really hurt people. So you need to have uh, emotional health. You, you know, the intellectual health is also so helpful, but you also need to have the, you know, the deep spiritual uh, connection where, where, you know, the, the essential self and the deep self and the unity and the compassion and all this stuff that all the, uh, the artists, the artists, artists, the poets and mystics, musicians have been writing about spirituality for all these many, many centuries and, and bring that together in a way that is utilizing the best of science that we know that keeps evolving as we speak and uh, bringing together the wisdom of the great wisdom traditions and what we're learning about, about the body and exercise and just bring that in this big, useful, exciting uh, path that we can all engage in. And uh, uh, in, in many ways, it, it just democratizes uh spiritual awakening it democratizes uh superb performance i mean i think before we kind of went with this um 
you know, myth that, oh, you know, these geniuses, these really talented people. Seth Curry comes to mind for you NBA fans who is just breaking every record in the book. And the records he's breaking at this point are his records, <laughs> you know, just and, and he is a just a practice fanatic. You know, I mean, he just practices his sport to such a level that he is superb. And now I'm sure he's very gifted, too, but because of the time, and the dedication and we can take that same kind of uh, warrior like athlete like uh, inspiration and put it into our healing, into our recovery, uh, into our waking up, into discovering our path. You know, not only do we have, um, uh, you know, the dark shadows of our pain that we split off and that become, you know, all kinds, create all kinds of havoc physically, somatically, emotionally, spiritually. But we also have um, the light shadows, uh, gifts that aren't realized that if we keep them inside uh, and we don't express them and give them away, give them out to the world, we also get sick. And there's a beautiful verse in the Gospel of Thomas, this uh, lost gospel that was found in Egyptian desert 45 and in this uh, quote Jesus says if you keep that which is within you inside of you it will kill you but if you bring it forth it will give you life okay so that's another part of it is really finding what you're here to do and why you get up in the morning and why you put your pants on and why you sit on the cushion and why you go to the gym and why you do all this work because there's something uniquely uh, uh, special that only you can do and you're here to do that. And uh, the rest of us will be forever impoverished and you will lose your path and possibly even lose your soul if you don't find that out. So that becomes part of it. So, period. That's my opening statement. Thanks, John. I uh, really appreciate it. You know, another aspect of the model, the big picture that I think you haven't talked about that I want to invite you to flesh out because you've talked about the importance of taking care of the body, you've talked about the importance of taking care of the inner world, um, but all of this is taking place in the context of the human community. And, um, you know, my experience is that we are social creatures and we're influenced by each other far more than many of us would even care to admit. And, uh, I, for one, and I'm not alone in this, have discovered that as I progress on my journey, the uh, value that I place and the care that I put into my relationships and the groups um, and communities that I choose to be a part of is something that is increasingly important to me and I'm becoming increasingly, I'm increasing my standards for myself in that area consistently. Could you talk about the importance of human relationships and spiritual community, how this all fits into the picture and uh, maybe how it fits into Wilbur's model and what you've found in your life in terms of uh, empowering yourself and other people, um, what you found really helps uh, people to create and connect with the kind of communities that foster uh, this type of growth and realization? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's you know, a great question. And let me, let me say um, uh, before that is that 
I, I know I'm, you know, because I, 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 I'm an introvert with extrovert gifts, put it that way, but I'm essentially an introvert. And, and what that means, an extrovert introvert, when I was in grad school, a teacher gave us this thing and said, the introvert, I found it very helpful, is a person that gets refueled by being alone. Okay. And the extrovert, you know, on the extreme end of the spectrum over there is the person that gets, you know, refueled by being with other people, you know, excitement and, and, and groups like that. Now, I don't think any of us are, maybe some of us, but I'm not, but nobody's completely this or that. But I, I tend much more toward the introvert side. All that to say, uh, Jung also said that, that God often comes through the rejected uh, element. Okay. And for me, that's like people, because I really like living out in the wilderness and being alone and vision questing and all that stuff. But every time that I've, I've actually put myself and, and go out into, to, uh, to be part of a community or build that, I get so much from it, you know, because it's not my natural comfort zone. And uh, I, I really grow. And some of the things that are easier for me, I mean, I grow too, but it's those things that are difficult that really, really bears great fruit. And in, you know, the basic, in, in the aqua map, the first thing, as you know, David, is the four quadrants, okay? And you imagine, you know, uh, a cross, you know, equal distant lines. So there's four, there's four um, quadrants up there. And these are four essential dimensions that have to be accounted for in every occasion and everything if you're going to be integral, if you're not going to leave something hugely out of it. So in the upper right quadrant, and we'll, let's apply this just to a human being, since that's what we're talking about. We can do it to hamsters or organizations or whatever. Uh, is the upper right is the physical body. Okay, so there is a physical body that has to be accounted for. That's what doctors like to fix, you know, physical things. They can chop it off, stitch it up, medicate it, you know, measure it, blah, 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 all that stuff. And the upper left is the interior dimensions, okay? It's your spirituality, your emotions, your, your griefs, your hatreds, your loves, all that interior stuff. And it's all, you know, it's non-local. You can't take my love for my dog or my wife or my country and put it in a test tube and go, oh, that's how much John's about, you know, about a quart low, <laughs> you know, and stick some more in. Uh, it, it is it's an interior, non-local experience. However, you can look at the brain of a human being with these different, all these different kind of scanning devices we have now, who is in love, experiencing love. And you can say, wow, his brain is firing in this way and that way, and compare with other people who are experiencing love. And, you know, you have all this great data and you know, while serotonin, dopamine's doing this and cortisol, whatever, you can have this great kind of scientific uh, insight into what a brain in love looks like, but that's not going to tell you anything about what the experience is of being in love. You know, you have to listen to Shakespeare's sonnets, Beatles songs, be in love, you know, listen to watch romantic movies and all of this stuff. So that's an that's the difference between the exterior and the interior experience. They're very both very useful. And you put them together, then you have something that's really whole. OK, so getting on to what you were talking about, you have the the upper left which is your interior life. The lower left is your we space, is your communal space, however you draw those circles. And as we as we evolve, the developmentalists tell us that our circles of what we consider our community continues to grow. But that we space is how you treat uh, your family, you know, starting off with, was that a supportive group? Um, many of us come out of, uh, you know, quote unquote, dysfunctional families, or sometimes even toxic families, where, you know, 
people were probably trying their best, but they just didn't know. And we get really damaged by that. And then there's a lot of work to do there. Or we just have to move on beyond it and do, do the inner healing. But if we're going to uh, be supported in this quest for wholeness, this quest for uh, waking up, this quest for staying awake, this quest to to live from our highest ethical developmental levels that we're able to reach and do good in the world, man, we need people to support us. And we have to be really skillful with that. And uh, that that consists of perhaps, uh, you know, joining supportive communities like in, in addiction. That's one thing that AA and NA and all these 12 step groups has been really good. It's provided support groups. Uh, but if we're pushing in, <clears throat> into new levels or there's not a lot going on where we live, we may have to start uh, uh, developing uh, those groups ourselves. Or the other thing is, you know, kind of the synchronicity thing that Jung talks about when you start doing this inner work, the outer world weirdly starts uh, reflecting it and you start meeting people that can support you in that. So that's just essential part. And if that's left out, although in my, you know, the integral practice, I talk about, you know, working on your body and your interiors, but there definitely has to be that element or it's simply not integral. And the lower right quadrant, just to finish the spectrum, is just your the objective out there world. You know, you have to have food, place to live, uh, you know, changing the oil in your car, paying your insurance, uh, paying your Wi-Fi or your Internet bills or whatever. All these complicated things that it, that it takes to participate in the world now has to be accounted for and taken care. Of. And if you neglect any one of those four essential dimensions, your physical body, your interior life, your relational communal life, and your just your physical uh, way that you earn your keep and in and, and nature and all those things, it's going to be out of balance. And it's going to cause stress and all the other quadrants. And if you're dealing with depression or you're dealing with addiction, it's often going to cause relapse and it can be even death. So does that does that answer that somewhat, David? Yeah, I think it starts to get at it. I think there's a lot more that we could say about that because this recording is being done in April of 2016, where the whole world, but especially the United States, is going through a radical period where it's having a chance to look at itself in some very interesting ways with the upcoming presidential elections and people yeah. are really given an opportunity to look at what what it means to be um, united as as a people for the United States of America and what role social justice plays in that and, you know, are we really our brother's keeper or is that just uh, a line in a book somewhere? And, you know, I think with the momentum that Bernie Sanders is creating at this moment where we're having this conversation and the um, incredible extremes of states of consciousness and worldviews of the different candidates it's an incredible opportunity for the American people to reevaluate um, their identity uh, as human beings and as Americans and what we have been up to and what we want to stand for. And I think this issue of community is just staring us right in the face right now because it's been such a dysfunctional um situation that it's an incredibly challenging but 
a thrilling opportunity for tremendous healing and transformation. Yeah, and and yeah, it's it's um, yeah, it's very interesting. It's a very big question, and uh, one of the, one of the things again going on to other parts of the integral map is that uh, we include developmental levels. Okay, and uh, there's a whole bunch of models, uh, hundreds of them actually. And uh, Ken wrote a book called Integral Psychology, and in the back of the book, of the index, he I think he put at least a hundred different developmental models side by side, so you could look at them and see what they were saying. And basically, they were they were um, um, charting the same ground, maybe with different languages. Basically, saying you know things go from simple, and as as one grows developmentally, uh, ability to take perspectives increases. In other words, an egocentric person can only think about me, I. An ethnocentric person, you can think about yours, your group, your people, your tribe, your country, your basketball team, however that is. And as you get into these higher world-centric than cosmocentric, you begin to be able to take perspectives of other people, all people, and then perspectives of you know uh, sentient non-human uh, beings and perhaps the whole universe at these highest levels. And we're dealing uh, in this huge... Uh, cultural wars that are going on in our country, you're de dealing with, with developmental levels that have uh, essentially different values and that have been really manipulated by certain uh, news agencies and uh, political machines in order to uh, create fear, to create anger, to create division. And it's just a proverbial shitstorm, pardon my French, and it's really done great damage to our country and the world. And we have to restitch that. And uh, last night I went to a meeting at the local, at, at the county commissioner's place. And they're in where we're living. They, they're, they're trying to put in a big uh, gravel pit in between these two towns. And uh, we just saw the absolute divisions along these developmental lines. You know, the, uh, you know, in, in, Spiral Dynamics is one of the ones that we use. It's color-coded, and you have, say, blue, which is kind of traditional, uh, fundamentalist, uh, traditional values, blah, blah. Then after that uh, emerges uh, the modern world, science, success, capitalism, bill, you know, the Constitution, all that stuff were, were uh, manifest, are manifestations of orange. And after that, you have the postmodern, which is kind of your counterculture, green, uh, Bernie Sanders, if you will, and those values of caring, you know, there's, it's just a whole different set. And in these arguments for and against this this uh, industrial place in the middle of where we live, uh, you could really see that at at the kind of blue level, at the, the kind of fundamentalist level, that's really a pre-rational uh, level. And, and science and data is not how they inform their basic uh, um, hits on what is really important. And, and, and the arguments were coming from that side were very emotional and these are good people and, you know, they're honest people that want to do this and all the data in the world wasn't going to change their minds at all. And then you have the people, the, you know, the orange going, well, there's, you know, this, that, and the other, and there's a financial and economic benefits, but there's also this tourism is the biggest thing around here. And is this big, ugly thing going to help or hurt that? And then you have the green who are so environmentally sensitive and they're just, flabbergasted by the very uh, 
idea of putting this thing here. And um, anyway, so it was really interesting to see all of these things happening. And then to kind of to trump this where we can have maybe a little bit of hope, what is postulated by uh, uh, a number of these developmental psychologists is that after the, the uh, postmodern kind of green uh, level of development, there, there's this thing that's beginning to emerge, which is called integral in some ways and where there's kind of a realization that that all of these developmental levels are uh, part of the human uh, spiral of evolution, if you will. And we're all born at square one and different communities have different centers of gravity and they see things differently as if you're, uh, you're uh, a friend of mine um, uh, said in, in looking at religion, that you know, we all see God through colored glasses. In other words, we, we all interpret scripture and spirituality from whatever developmental level we're at, because those are the tools that we have, okay, uh, to to interpret the world. So if we have spiritual experiences, we'll interpret it through whatever lenses we have. And and sometimes the the uh, the uh, uh, experience can be powerful enough to kick us to our next level of development, but we won't kick us to two or three levels ahead. We may have like previews of it, but we won't be, it won't be firmly established. And so uh, one of the things that, that comes on at this integral level beyond uh, maybe the post postmodern level, if you will, is that you really learn that uh, you really understand all these different levels and that you, if you're at that level, you've been through them all, you have some connection with them and you learn to see it through those people's eyes and you language, uh, your arguments or your communications in language that those people can understand. So if you're talking to one of our, our, our blue kind of uh, mythic fundamentalist level Mormon farmers here, and you start talking hippie green to them, you ain't going to get anywhere, but just angry rejection. So when I got up and made my statement last night, I, uh, you know, I tried to make it something that I had a little bit for everybody and it was very well received. You know, I said, well, Anyway, so so it's just uh, to to begin to stitch together the great rifts and the uh, uh, the 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 hatreds and you know I mean not to mention our country. Look at the Middle East, right? Um, you have to be a, you. We have to individually do the work on ourselves so that we can get to these higher levels. So we can actually treat all these levels intelligently and with respect, and it becomes something of maybe even a pastoral relationship to these levels where you're really trying to bring, because they all have their good parts, you know, and they all have their strengths, but they all have also their weaknesses and their shadows and, and their difficulties. So the idea is to try to get them to, to behave in ways that are, um, that it brings forth the, the, the good stuff and, and minimizes the, the, the possible problems. And so it's, it's complex, but that's the work. And, and how I've applied that to integral recovery is that, say you're at a modern level of development, you understand individual freedom and, and democracy and, you know, working hard and science and all this stuff. That's all part of your, how you look at reality. Uh, and you start taking drugs, well, very soon as the, the addiction grows and its power to control, you actually start slipping down the slope, if you will, and going back to these very, very earlier primitive pathological levels of, you know, egocentric, and it's all about me and people are just to be used and manipulated and hurt and stolen from whatever so I can get my drugs. And that's all that matters. So 
that's kind of a, a broad statement, and I will uh, I'll be quiet for a second. No, thanks, John. I, I'm glad you had a chance to talk about that a little bit, and I think it brings to light what I was mentioning in my opening comments about how powerful it is to, on one hand, to be grounded in love and in the unity of existence, but at the same time to have the power of this kind of a meta model where uh, these different states of consciousness and these different ways of being and the different ways that the world occurs for people in these different uh, levels of consciousness and to understand that none of it is good and none of it is bad, but that the more inclusive uh, uh, levels can have compassionate understanding for the less inclusive levels, but not the other way around. And I understand what you're saying about that pastoral element and where we can really serve with compassion. There's something yeah. really powerful about that. You know, I, one of the criticisms of Wilbur's work has been that it can get a little heady. It can get it a little too abstract. And one of the things I like about the way you interact with Wilbur's work is that you bring in that other piece of uh, doing the doing the deep emotional healing work, doing the shadow work, doing the um, doing the work on the body. Uh, 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 honing communication skills and I think it provides a great balance and reality check to some of the potential downsides of getting involved with uh, Wilbur's work or any kind of a, an approach that uh, tends to be tends to lead with the head yeah, well, you know, it's, it's, uh, who was it? I think Cynthia Bourgeau, she's a great a Christian mystic and intellect and teacher. And she says the, uh, the journey of enlightenment is like 18 inches from the head to the heart. So, you know, you have to have both, you know, it, it has to be integral. You have to have the heart and you have to have the head. And of course, you know, Ken's, I mean, his work is just unbelievable what he's achieved uh, and what he's, he's taught us, but you know, he can't do everything, you know, some of us have to go out and, you know, and, and apply it in the world and, and do what we can with the gifts we're given. But, you know, both sides of the street are really important. You know, you're talking about that essential unity, that, that the deep apprehension of, of essential self or God or spirit or whatever you want to call that, that everything that the complexity emerges out of, you know, that's, you know, original face before the Big Bang. You, we were just that. You were just that, that undifferentiated unity of all things. And then, you know, bang, the Big Bang happens and the complexity emerges. So we have to have, um, if, if we don't have uh, a deep embeddedness, experiential, not just intellectual, but uh, in, from our own inner practice, connection with, with the unitive experience with the spiritual side of the street, then all the other stuff just becomes a kind of a dissociated head trip. And it does, it's not, it's no longer medicine. It can just become, you know, it just gets distorted and gets used in weird ways. So we really, really have to bring both of those together. You know, the big, beautiful, you know, enlightened mind with the big, huge uh, heart that, that comes from understanding who and what we really are at the deepest levels. And that's what the mystics have been, you know, saying for thousands of years. You know, one thing in my own work is I've been expanding that model of head and heart to more of a trinity 
of uh, head, heart, and belly, mm. um, because uh, right now we are abusing our physical environment to such an extent that I see many people who have done a lot of work on themselves in terms of opening the mind and deepening and healing the heart, but who still have a lot of work to do kind of at the physical, energetic, mm -hmm. cellular level, because we've got genetically modified foods, we've got heavy metals, chemtrails, parasites, uh, nutritional deficiencies, different kinds of toxicities all over the place. And so I'm expanding that model to head, heart, and belly to in this transformation of the instincts. I think that this is a real key to full embodiment. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering to what extent you've either personally considered that distinction and also if at all, to what extent that that added part of the picture uh, informs your work? Well, yeah. I mean, you, you could also say head, heart, and body. Right. You know, and and that's like, yeah, of course. And that's that's what we've been, you know, what we've been talking about. And you can also look at, you know, these are different centers of intelligence, you know, the heart and the brain, two different things are going on there. And they're essentially, you know, they're connected. But if they're dissociated, then you start developing pathologies. Well, it's the same thing as the body. And if you're, you know, you're looking at, uh, uh, you know, the chakra system, you know, the belly down there, that's the place where you have your it's kind of, you know, in martial arts, it comes from, you know, in my training there, it came from the Dante and it came from that center, which is that's where you have, you know, your power, your your forcefulness, your, you know, your, your uh, the strength, you know, to go for it, to get it done. The heart gives you the compassion and the brain, of course, and then I'm simplifying this hugely, it gives you the skillfulness how to do that. But if you're, you're missing any any one of those, you know, big three, you're going to have pathology. It's not going to work well. So all of those things have to be included yeah. in, in, in the work. All right. Well, this has been fantastic. So let's shift gears. We've got about 20 minutes left, and I think this is a tremendously powerful orientation and introduction to you and your work. And I'd like to focus for about the next 15 minutes on a particular aspect of your work that is encapsulated in your uh, I Awake technology company and products. And I just want to say a couple of words of personal experience and then open it up for you to talk about that. So um, my exposure to iAwake Technologies has been over the last few years. I've used a lot of their products, which are basically um, things that you listen to, some with headphones, some not with headphones, some are optional. And um, I've done a lot of work with other companies as well with using acoustics to impact consciousness. And um, one of the things that I really like about your work, John, is that when I'm doing work with your products, I don't feel even on a subtle level like my being or my energy or my brain is being pushed uh, 
in any kind of conditioning, conditioned kind of way. It, for me, it's more like an invitation rather mm -hmm. than a conditioning or a pushing. And I'm wondering when you start to talk about your work, if you could speak to that distinction and also without getting too geeky, mm -hmm. maybe say a few things about what it is about the components and the combination of your work that tends to correlate with that sense of um, invitingness rather than being pushed or conditioned or, 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 or the adaptation that would tend to go with that kind of forceful approach. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, it's a great question. And, um, you know, I started using this technology about 11 years ago or maybe more now. <laughs> this keeps getting longer time, doesn't it? But uh, yeah, and, and in, in the early days, it was simply the binaural beats that I talked about earlier. That's the basic technology that everybody was using. And uh, so you'd have these two, you know, beats, and then it would be, the beats would be covered up with, you know, nature sounds or music and stuff like that. And that was a basic thing. And it was, it was, uh, it was really good. I mean, it did a lot, helped me a lot. And um, I, I was very, you know, passionate about it. And I was out teaching and promoting these types before I was making any money for it at all. I was just saying, hey, this stuff works. And uh, this this can, you know, just, um, I think Bill Harris one time in a conversation said that he thinks that um, just using the binaural stuff speeds up the meditation processes by a factor of eight, which is huge, right? And um, so years ago, I was in I was in Boulder, Colorado, doing something on some kind of business trip, integral business. And uh, I was introduced to a uh, man, Eric Thompson. And he's, you know, he'd also suffered from depression myself and had used his technology. He's a really brilliant guy. And he says, you know, I think I'm, I'm making stuff that's better. And uh, I said, OK, well, give me some tracks. And I went and listened to it. I went, wow, this is really good. And uh, at that point, I'd been using the technology on a daily basis, the, the, the earlier iterations of it for about five years. So I was pretty sensitive to this technology and to subtle states and all of this stuff. And so I just got the, you know, kind of the intuitive hit that we we're supposed to start our own company and get this stuff out and develop it. <clears throat> and so that's what we did and built in, uh, you know, our, you know, and, and, and now we have a number of developers who are creating of the new tracks and the 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 um, you know it's just like if you I don't know drive a 1940 Ford and you and you drive a you know 2016 Ford there could be a big difference in your experience you know both will get you hopefully to Topeka from here but the experience of driving the 2016 car is going to be really really different and uh, going to be more probably more pleasant and uh faster etc so uh we've just taken the technology and we've added subtle energy and there's different uh, algorithms and there's different uh, ways of entraining that we have uh built into it that just seems to make it more powerful but in a in a gentle way in other words more effective but without some of the, the the heavy kind of pushing that a lot of people experience when they're using the earlier uh, technology. So anyway, we're you know if we uh, if we're, we've done good work in Sing Far, we're standing on the shoulders of giants, right? And we've just continued to uh, to to work it and to work with it and evolve it. And of course, my my one of my 
big jobs has been the chief practitioner. I mean, I do this practice every day and it saved my life. And I was meditating before, uh, before um, our conversation here uh, and I got my meditation in and uh, it really works on a bunch of levels. It's interesting. Uh, one of the things it does is improves the function of the brain. So you're, you have more capacity intellectually. You get smarter if you want to, um, you know, put it, you know, simply. And also it seems to really work as far as creativity. Uh, you can just get into the zone and, you know, I'm a musician also. I'm a writer. Uh, I'm a teacher. I'm a speaker. And I just don't really have to worry anymore about getting blocked or not having anything, you know, relevant to say. It just seems to uh, come through and it seems to, you know, anyway, I'll give you a, a couple of minutes of definition I've come up with about what spirituality is. And um, it also connects you with your body and so that you can actually bring awareness and mindfulness with the kind of expanded awareness that the, that this technology brings on to your, to your, uh, trauma and to your hurts, to your pain. So you can actually be, pre be present with them and mindful and allow them to release through the soma. And that's how we get through the, our traumatic, uh, events. So it does, does a whole bunch of stuff. And, uh, because you're actually physically transforming the brain and how it functions and it functions at ever, ever higher levels. And when you do that, it just changes the whole game, your experience of being alive, what your capacities are. Uh, when I started doing this practice, it literally changed my whole career and where I was going. I was approaching 50 and I'd been a wilderness guide for years. And I was like, I got the message. You're done. This is with this. And I was like, what's next? I had no idea. And through the practice and working myself that all of this stuff really just, just emerged in a, in a very uh, synchronistic, beautiful uh, way. So can you give our listeners more of a sense of if they wanted to get their feet wet with this, and we'll provide a link in the show notes for yeah. to click on. If they want to get their feet wet to experience this technology, and they click on that link and they get the uh, three uh, free downloads to sample this work. Can you tell people what to expect and um, just give them a little bit of a reality on that? Yeah, we, we, we have, uh, you go to our website, iWig Technologies, and you, you'll have a, a demo page. And I think it's streaming. I don't know if you download it. You can listen to it right there on your computer or on your smartphone. And uh, it is, you know, we have built in, we have, you know, kind of light, easy beginner tracks. And then we have kind of intermediate. And then we have really powerful, heavy ones. Just like if you're going into a gym, some days you might really do a heavy workout and other days you might do a lighter workout depending on what your training methods are so we have you know we have gosh hundreds of tracks now we have an incredible transformation library that we've developed over the years so when you go to this demo you're going to have one of the intermediate ones i mean i wanted to be strong enough so you can really feel it but not too strong you know just get a taste of it and basically just yeah put it on and, and just listen to it and just pay attention to what's going on you know in your body in your mind your thoughts and just listen to it. And I think you'll start, I think you'll really feel, uh, you know, within a very short time, uh, something's really going on and something, something transformational is happening. And, uh, yeah. And, and, and of course it's, uh, you know, this is, it's pretty miraculous what this stuff does, but it's, it's, it's a, uh, it's, 
it's a hard work miracle. In other words, you actually have to use the stuff. And a lot of my work is just inspiring, getting people to engage in the practices and get going. And my students, you know, that I work with addiction or depression, whatever it is, they just do what I tell them to do the practices. They get better and they stay sober. It's amazing. And they get happy and they, and they start finding their way and they're finding their lives and what they're here to do. And it's just amazing if you're just willing to put in the work. If you want to achieve greatness, there's no way uh, to do that besides working really hard in intelligent ways. And so now we we know the practices, we know the map, we have incredible technologies. And so we have an opportunity to develop psychologically, spiritually, uh, creatively, emotionally that no generations before us have ever had because we're starting to understand the brain. You know, we've learned more about the brain, one neuroscientist says in the last 10 years than in the previous 5,000. I mean, we are just, it's, a, it's amazing. So. Uh, if we use that with wisdom and compassion and skillfulness, we can achieve great things. And uh, so, you know, go to the website, uh, uh, listen to the tracks and just, you know, trust your intuition from there. And uh, if you want to get going, uh, the, the kind of the kind of the center uh, track is called PMP or Profound Meditation Program 3.0. And it has I think it has like 15 tracks in book there and it gives you and with the instructions we have on the website it's a whole transformational program to really get you into the game and uh, once you begin to do this stuff it's really hard to go back and not do it anymore i mean because uh when you begin to discover you know your interiority it's how vast we are inside and that stuff really when i meditate it's really um place where I work out my life. It's a place of refuge. It's a place of renewing, uh, filling up a deep spiritual connection and working through my emotional stuff, looking at the glitches in my thinking perhaps, and kind of getting my marching orders, uh, both tactically what I'm supposed to do that day and strategically what I'm supposed to be doing with my life. And that's a whole bunch, you know, and that's a huge, um, uh, uh gift to the human condition. And you start understanding, oh, okay, I get the meaning of life, you know? Oh, yeah, it's cool. I understand who and what I am at the deepest levels, and I understand that I also have an individual work to do to, um, you know, bring uh, this generation and the generation to come into a better, more beautiful existence. And what I am at the deepest level was never born, will never die, is not in time at all. And in and, and my deep practice, uh, and, and by cultivating that, and especially with these tools that we now have, uh, you can, you can, you can pretty stably tap into that more deeply over time and, and mature, spiritually mature, emotionally mature, uh, psychologically mature, intellectually mature in really, really good ways and really whole, uh, human being that is really, um, uh, prepared to deal with the reality that now confronts us on our, our beautiful suffering planet. So people just need headphones or, or earplug or uh -huh. earbuds. Yeah. Yeah. Uh -huh. And, um, one, a couple other things I wanted to ask you as we wind down a little bit, um, other than Ken Wilbur, who have been some of the most major, uh, uh, influences, and guides on your path in this life? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, St. Francis of Assisi was very important when I discovered his life and uh, uh, felt his kind of transmission that really explained what was going on inside of me, this deep, deep, deep humility and love 
and, and the beauty of his spirit. Abraham Maslow comes to mind, kind of the father of, you know, help birth humanistic psychology, transpersonal psychology. Um, you know, basically he said, you know, our, our Western models of, of human psyche have been developed by studying sick people. Let's study really healthy people and find if we can find out anything in along those lines. So it really opened up psychology in a way instead of just shadow and neurosis and darkness and trauma and pain to, you know, what it really means to be human and what is authentic happiness and what is positive psychology. So he's been a, um, a huge influence and, and I'm sure I was influenced by the music that I listened to, you know, the Beatles and, and Bob Dylan and, and the stuff I grew up with uh, being a musician. Uh, and I continue that journey uh, musically. And after that, oh my gosh, there's just, there's lots of people, you know, Carl Jung and uh, Cynthia Bourgeau came up in a conversation. Um, uh, yeah, there's, there's just uh, um, George Leonard, who wrote a book called Mastery that really laid the basis of what practice transformational practice is and what, what are the dynamics. And I've, I've really incorporated that into, into my own work. So there's just been, you know, myriad. John Muir, um, uh, my, I had a, a Native American mentor, elder, uh, Wallace Black Elk, who passed on, you know, I don't know, 20 years ago. But he was a, a major influence. It really grounded me and helped me when I was going through super dark period and introduced me to the, you know, the deep, Democratic spirituality of the the uh, at least the the Plains Indians, the Lakota Cheyenne, etc., that are wonderful medicine for, to, for all of us. Um, does that does that answer some of those questions, David? Yeah, and one other closing question of mine before I just turn it over to you to say any last words you're moved to say is: if people do get involved with your I Awake programs, what kind of support is available as they're going through the process? Yeah, well, we, you know, I do a, I do a weekly teleseminar on Wednesdays at uh, 11 Mountain Time. And when you, you know, you sign up and get your email, you get notice of that. So that's basically, I just give maybe a brief little talk or I interview somebody and then I just open it up to questions and people can ask live, you know, and they're all recorded so you can listen to them later. And it can be as simple as like, what hole do I stick the headphone jack in or something like that? You know, it doesn't have to be any deep. It's just practical to spiritual or I'm really, you know, encountering these things in my practice. What do I do about that? Also, we get tons of emails and if people, you know, uh, really run into some issues. I often just talk to people on Skype, you know, okay. uh, so, so we, and we, yeah, so we have a, a, a customer support system that's really important to us. And it's all about, you know, who we are as, as a company and as a community. So there, there's a lot of, a lot of support. And if you go to the, uh, the website, oh my God, it is like information dense. Um, a lot of, a lot of, um, uh, information there just about everything and FAQs and, and blog articles and uh, other other information. Very lots of support, lots of information. Is there anything that's on the cutting edge for you these days that you're really focused on and really enthused about that uh, we didn't cover that uh, you'd like to share or anything else you'd like to share in closing? Yeah, well, you know, just just today we just released a new product, which is a, a new one for us. I don't think it's going to be a new line, and it is a uh, a specific workout uh, 
track that you listen to when you go to the gym or you're jogging or whatever you know exercise training program you have and uh created by a a, a brilliant uh friend of ours and and collaborator and she does electronic music and she travels all over the world produces and creates this stuff but she does she's does this particular stuff with a with an entrainment track built into it that takes you to alpha which is like focus flow uh brain state that great athletes get to when they're in those states of just you know it's it's all coming unconscious the game is being played through you or the music's being played through you and so that's really cool so not only do we we talk about exercise side of the street we're now producing the tools that just uh, it's called um workout ecstasy and you know it's great you get high as a kite and and i think we want to get high you know we want to have these experiences of 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 great joy and flow and and connection and unitive and all of this stuff we just have to do it in, in ways that are healthy for us and drugs and alcohol aren't the ways to do that uh on an ongoing basis for sure and um um so yeah so we learn we learn uh meditation we learn to to be poets and musicians and athletes and we find great joy of being in our bodies and being here on the planet and and experiencing these things so i say yeah it's not it's you know it's 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 not all just shadow work and painful work it's also ecstasy and bliss and and hope you know and finding finding wow there is something going on here and i am part of it and i can get more conscious of it and i can play you know my little instrument my little piece of it in a beautiful skillful way that matters that makes a difference and you can never you can never tell you know uh, a chaos theory you know shows us that that you know it can be the littlest peripheral little event you know that can change the whole pattern and uh uh that's the way transformation happens sometimes it just happens really really quickly you know, and uh, anyway, it's it's an exciting journey, and uh, the other stuff is kind of flat and boring. You know, at a certain point, it's like that stuff is not enough. So it's time to uh, people are saying these days is wake up, show up, and grow up, and uh, that's what the what the practice helps us to do. And it's though it is hard and difficult at times to. Um, establish discipline and new habits that you haven't done it's so worth it you know and and we have a saying in 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 the recovery world that easy now hard later hard now easy later so if you do you get you get this thing going uh now even though it's challenging at first it's also very exciting at first uh things will get better and if you just take the easy way out now and just kind of like float along with whatever you know you're doing or not doing it's going to just get harder and harder as time goes on so i guess that would be uh um uh my closing statement thank you david thank you john ladies and gentlemen you've been listening to another episode of freeing the body freeing the soul i'm your host dr david the cutting edge doc and here on freeing the body freeing the soul we do in-depth interviews with individuals that are doing cutting edge work in the areas of healing spirituality and social transformation. Our special guest today has been John Dupuy, who uh, I'm sure you've enjoyed thoroughly getting to know John and getting a taste of his work. And uh, if you want to learn more about John's work, we'll provide some very specific links on our show notes. You can just go to www.cuttingedge.com dot com that's cuttingedgedoc.com and if john's show is not showing up just put dupuy 
D-U-P-U-Y in the search box and it'll come right up and there'll be full show notes and you can take it from there. So John, thank you so much. And with that, we'll close with love and peace. Bye for now. God bless. for joining us for today's episode of freeing the body freeing the soul to access all episodes including show notes go to cuttingedgedoc.com that's cuttingedgedoc.com lastly if you love today's show you can support dr david his work and the show by going over to itunes and giving a five-star rating and a heartfelt comment Thank you again for joining us today and for your commitment to freeing the body, freeing the soul.